Dolly Parton herself once said, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Or at least we think Dolly Parton said it. Regardless, if you find yourself these days trying to adjust and readjust the sails of your life to this fierce wind called COVID-19, then you've come to the right place. A podcast called Everyday Wonder. A virtual place where all of us can take a breath, check in, and have the kind of conversations we'd like to have, but can't have because, you know, all the bars are shut down. I'm Brett Will Taylor, and I am here with my Everyday Wonder co-host, Renee Peck. Renee, hello. Hello, Brett Will. How nice to be here today with you, even remotely. Yep. How is Mississippi, where you're sheltering in place? It's balmy. Mm, there you go. There you go. And we're here also with our producer, Daryl Rollo. Daryl, how are you? I'm good. I'm hanging in there still, Brett Will. Thanks for asking. Good, good, good. Um, you know, up until a few weeks ago, most of us probably didn't pay much attention to the organizations that help keep our sales adjusted each and every day. We didn't think much about the organization that was our schools, our employers, certainly not our toilet paper suppliers. I know I didn't think a lot about the organization that is my mom's assisted living community or the government that my cousin helps lead here in Dallas. But then COVID-19 came and everything shut down and we got locked down and suddenly, well, suddenly those organizations took on a whole new meaning, at least for most of us. Dr. Beverly Edgehill, who is our guest today, has long been downright passionate about the meaning of organizations and the many different roles they play in our lives. She has a PhD from Columbia University on adult and organizational learning. Her dissertation explored how 16 businesswomen learned to have career success, and she has spent her career at every turn asking one fundamental question. What is the relationship between people and organizations? We think that's the questions we're all thinking about these days. And so, Bev, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you. How are things? Now, you were up in Boston, or greater uh, Boston. In the greater Boston area, and um, it's, it's not balmy, um, <laughs> but it's a beautiful sunny day, and we're going to take that. Good, 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 good. Well, thank you for joining us. You know, as I mentioned at the top, um, I imagine most of us don't think about organizations much, um, and we may not even really understand what is an organization. So can you kick this off by just telling us why you're passionate about this, and, and what, how do you define organization? Oh, I'm so happy to do so. You know, um, to answer your question, I have to go back in time a little bit, and I'll go back to when I was a young girl growing up in New York City. And I grew up in an area of uh, Manhattan called Morningside Heights, which for anyone that knows, it's the Upper West Side. It's north of um, Columbia University and it's south of Harlem. And uh, my brother and I would find ourselves on a regular basis kind of walking in south and find ourselves engaging with college students or at least observing them as they were protesting the Vietnam War. And then we'd walk north and be in Harlem and observe people protesting for civil rights. And I think, Will, that it was then that that seed was planted in me to really begin to look into the intersection of society in that moment and individuals and individuals in society. And 
you know, hindsight being what it is, you asked the question about organization. I mean, I use it to describe kind of any gathering of individuals around a given cause. So you could be talking about a, a profit making organization, you know, take, you could take like P&G or whomever's responsible for producing all the toilet paper we need these days. And they're, you know, brought together to, um, because of their common mission, which is to uh, offer products that are, you know, of interest to consumers. That's an organization, but so is uh, a Me Too movement or Black Lives Matters, a group of people who equally come together um, around a given issue. So, you know, when I think about organizations, I really think about it in a very fluid manner. I mean, they're kind of these movements and, you know, in today's social discourse, we often think of the term movement to think about what's happening in communities, but it really can be applied to any gathering of people for a given reason and purpose. So yep. that's how I think about organization. So Bev, in the moment that we're in now, what are, what's, what's from your perspective uh, the best role or some best roles for organizations to play in our lives? Um, mm -hmm. And then two, panning out beyond the day that will come when we don't have this pandemic. Um, you know, this is your passion. This is your passion. This is your work. This is your science. But for the everyday folks, um, why should they think maybe a little bit more about organizations and interplay? Yeah. So in the moment and panning further out. Yeah, so in the moment, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, I think it, it really depends. I think this is a moment where if we look at organization as society, I think that the pendulum or the balance between the relationship of individual and organization is tipping and that individuals need to, or would be best served if they lean into their own responsibility for self-accountability self and self-care. Mm -hmm. They would be self, better self-served um, if they do that given the current dynamic of what's happening. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, create little communities of support and care. And we're seeing a lot of that now. I mean, I just read something earlier about these, you know, little free libraries that people have on their front porches and they're converting them to free pantry, food pantries. So it really is the individual interestingly enough, individually, but collectively exercising their individual rights, if you will, yep. self-care and autonomy. And um, I think going forward, you know, uh, you know, my sense is that there have been so many beautiful stories about people coming together and looking out for one another and realizing that, you know, this pandemic as um, an invisible um, foe, uh, you know, crosses boundaries. It's not like it won't cross over the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean or um, any other, you know, major physical barrier yep. that it affects all of us. So, you know, I dare to think that we might broaden our perspective that we're more connected than we may have perceived we were in the past, that what happens to one has an impact on others. It's the whole butterfly phenomena, um, you know, and how scientists can predict the extent of uh, hurricane season here in the States based on what's happening off the coast of Africa. 
or Madagascar. Um, and so just maybe heightening our awareness of connectivity. Again, even if it's just you and your apartment or your house and your neighbor across the street. Yeah. Or for people who may be able to hold it more, maybe your town to the next town or dear God, your state to the next state and so forth. And just really hoping well, that it, it, take that. Yeah, and see, that's where I my interest in this comes is, um, you know, in my shaman world or spirit world or woo-woo world, depending on whoever I'm talking to wants to define it. Um, you know, my passion happens to be the intersection between individual consciousness and collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bev, I love the word you said, um, the word of connection, because that's all it is. I mean, that it, it's really perhaps, and I mean, I'm certainly and you're our guest, so I'm very interested in what you think. Um, but to me, it comes down to, the, to two simple words, awareness of connection. Um, because the connection is always there, right? There's nothing you need to do for that, maybe, but the awareness of it. Yeah, I think I would agree it's awareness and connection, but I also think it's about intentionality. Okay. And that so is that, what that is, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's that thing that happens at the intersection of individual and organization, in my opinion, it's your intention. It's your intention to say, I think I'm now connected to more people than I believed I was in the past. It's your intention to say, even though the pastor who I have adored and followed for my entire life is telling me to go to church, I think I might not. Mm. It's the intention of, you know, making a choice to ask your elderly neighbor if you can pick up groceries. So yes, it's awareness is connection. And to your point, those two have been there forever. I mean, you're aware of what you're aware of and connection is an option. But that intersection, the thing that connects, in my opinion, individual and organization is the intention. What do you intend? What is your objective? What is your goal? It's about action. It's about participation, right? Well, it is, but you know, I'm, I'm leaning in on the word intention because right. to me, it's more than action and participation. It's like, what is the motive behind mm. why you're even acting and participating? You know, um, that's, that's my point about, I mean, you all brought up the whole church example from this past weekend. What is your motive for saying no? What is your motive for saying yes? Yeah. Right. You know, that yeah. is what really creates this dynamic middle. It, yeah. it really just brings that intersection alive to be clear about your motive and your intention. And if we could move through this on the other side of this, the heightened, you know, episodic place we are now with the virus with a greater emphasis on our intention, that would be amazing. And I think that's so powerful. Um, you know, full disclosure, you and I have been friends for a very long time. And, um, you know, you are in the same pantheon of um, respect and admiration and gratitude that I hold, Renee. Um, and one of my favorite phrases you use, and, and I know you'll tell me if this is appropriate or not, or tied to intention, is, you know, to check how you show up. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, you know, you are truly one of these intentional people who checks yourself. Like, how are you showing up every time you walk in a room or you start a phone call? So if we go back to Renee's piece um, to bring it down, really local and personal, you know, you want to see your grandkids. And I guess is intention that 
what's the intention behind that? Like, check it. What is it? Well, you want to see them because you love them. So if that, if you're grounded in that intention, that influences how you respond to the information you get. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. That's how I use it. You know, it's interesting. So you referenced my research from almost 20 years ago now. And while I was looking at a particular subset around a particular topic, what I have come to know is that the findings have been attributable across a lot of different venues. And one of them has to do with this notion of checking your mindset, which is really pausing long enough to go underneath, if you will, the actions, behaviors, and words you're saying to consider what's leading you to say and be in that way. You know, are you triggered because of um, some feedback that you received or the inability to achieve a goal or outcome? Um, You know, we saw on the heels of the most recent, the current administration, but, you know, the transition from the prior administration, there were a lot of people who were triggered for lots of different reasons. And, you know, that influenced the choice they made and the outcome we have, regardless of one's political orientation. Checking your mindset is an important place to pause, to get clear about, and to really um, reconcile, again, the motive, Mm -hmm. the motive. So you want to see your grandchildren. I want to see my mom. I want to see people I love dearly. It's because I love them. And if I'm honest with myself and I go deeper, it's because there's a sense of a lack of control around being able to just act on what my goals have been. I mean, who tells me I can't get in my car and drive to New York and see my mother? Um, I have control over that. And now you're telling me I can't. So that anxiety is really what's underneath the mindset piece. Um, So that's, that's, again, part of the intention. That is fascinating. I think if more of us dug a little deeper the way you're talking about to think why we're reacting the way we are or doing the things we are or setting the rules we are. Um, It would be very enlightening to all of us because I don't think those are easy answers. I don't think, I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, like my grandkids, but if you really start peeling back the layers of the onion, you see that there, you know, there are lots of different things going on there. And, uh, and I think that's one of the problems. Brett Will and I have talked a lot about the fact that we are so divisive and we're so, we're so segregated into groups that hate one another these days. And I think that if we did a little bit more of that introspection and that little bit more of uh, looking at our intentions and why we feel the way we do about certain things, we could meet across those chasms with a little bit more respect and understanding, which is, which is where I guess the individual and the organization uh, ideally, uh, in would, would rest would rest in this kind of um, gentle place for a moment. I mean, again, you never want homeostasis because then you have these two dead, dry entities. So you do have to honor and respect how dynamic it is, but you do want to create a space of you do want some degree of homeostasis. I, I meant to say you don't want it to just you know be mm-hmm. kind of flatlined. But you do want to have this intersection. And you're right, if people were willing to go deeper into what's motivating them, then they might acknowledge that it's fear of losing out on, you know, opportunities. It's fear of losing what you have today. It's um, fear of the unknown, of something that's different. And then you can act on that. You know, I also heard that you can't, I heard a, a phrase once, 
that you can't heal the wrong issue. That's right. So if, you, if you're going after trying to heal, um, look, I just want to go see my mom and I'm going to figure this out. That's not the issue to heal. Right. It's, you know, it's what's underneath that. So I have, you know, two observations, which I know you two will uh, correct course if they're off base, which is awesome. Um, you know, one is, and this is, the, you know, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Bev, is I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of words and I'm fascinated by words that people often misinterpret. And I think the word organization um, gets a bad rep, right? Mm -hmm. um, not only is it a narrow rep that we think it means a business or a nonprofit, but I think people associate organizations with being a bureaucrat. Yes. And yes. God knows we live in a time where we yes. see the value of bureaucrats. But what I hear you saying is um, you think of organizations with that flexibility and fluidity, which is then that individuality within it. Yes. Yes. And and right, and and so I'm just pulling. I'm, I'm going from that back into these days to what the life we're in right now. And wouldn't it be magical if instead of all of us trying to say, "Here's the three things you need to get through this," or "Here's my checklist," or whatever, the message is really have those individual conversations. Take this time of being home, of being very close to the people you are perhaps closest to. Right and take that time to just check your intention. Mm -hmm. Something as simple as that. Why are, you know, why do we make the choices we make? And mm -hmm. um, God, if maybe if all of us would even do that for an hour, um, that would change. That I, think it would, I think it would make a difference. And uh, I love what you're saying. I mean, we don't have a choice but to stay put. So I've read and I've heard people say that this is a time to reach out to people you haven't talked with in a long time. It may be a time to connect with people that you, um, you know, had a disagreement with and, mm. uh, you know, maybe a broken relationship to see if you could heal it. I mean, all of that is, is useful to do. Let me, you know, it occurs to me, let me just say a little bit more about kind of the findings that I gathered from my research that over the years I've been um, continuing to examine, particularly as, you know, from an anecdotal perspective. So the first one is this notion of, as we just were talking about, checking your mindset. And the second one has to do with this idea of going from strength to strength, which is really an affirmative kind of perspective and way to hold yourself because we live in a society or a broader organization that is so, um, you know, we're so achievement oriented, we compare ourselves, we are always uh, looking after and for the next thing. And, um, you know, we're, we're not perfect as we already are. And what would happen if we just leaned in on our unique gifts and abilities and skills and showed up in the world in that way? and connected with each other. I mean, just imagine with clarity around your mindset or your motive, and then walking the world, kind of expressing who you really are, how powerful that would be. Well, you know, I, um, uh, and this may feel like a stretch because I know you are very much a Northerner, a New Yorker who now lives in Boston. Um, 
but that's actually how I think of New Orleans. And I think that is one of the very, mm-hmm. it makes me emotional. Um, mm. You know, it's one of the powerful mm-hmm. things is um, we may not define strength in New Orleans um, the way everybody else does, mm-hmm. um, but we know it's our strength. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was thinking the same thing, Brett. Well, I, I really was. I was thinking a lot of this conversation could be um, anthropomorphized into the city of New Orleans because we are a collection of individuals, but our strength comes from our organization. Right. And we, we don't have leaders in the sense other places have leaders. We, we abhor dominant voices. We abhor being told what to do. And yet we come together in a way that gives us a workable organization that, and I think we are very intentional about it. You know, Deb was talking about how this is an unseen enemy that sort of hits everyone and Katrina in New Orleans and that microcosm of New Orleans was the same way. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was an equal opportunity disaster. Mm-hmm. It affected people across every de- demographic, every, uh, every socioeconomic group, every uh, zip code, every aspect of the city everyone lost something and came together because of that. And I think if that, it, that kind of organization, that's a very amorphous sort of loosely held, but very uh, intentionally bound organization comes out of this, then we'll be a better country. For mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you for being sensitive to that. I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate you. Your heartfelt love of our city, which not everyone gets or understands, but, um, yeah. but we do. Yep. And I, I know that you've talked, whenever I've asked you about New Orleans, you've, you've gone to that place of how it is heartfelt. And yep. you, you will have said things to me on occasion, like you just kind of have to be there to really fully appreciate it. So. Well, you know, and I, again, uh, it's because of our history. I'm not putting words in your mouth. It's because of our history and, and um, how I watch and admire and have learned from you my sense is you would direct anyone who tries to obsess about defining an organization. And by that, I mean, you know, people always, I said it when I first lived in New Orleans. So what's New Orleans? Tell me what it's about. How do you get it? Da, 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 da. And I think, you know, so even in, so what are we going to learn from COVID-19? Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. I think you as the scientist, but also the beautiful human would gently perhaps redirect folks to say, just ask what your intention is. Yes, absolutely. Ask what your intention is. And then I, please let me just continue to share a little bit about my research findings because it feels like it's a natural flow here. Mm-hmm. And I'll go pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's this whole bit that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it like the next thing, although it's not sequential, it's just another idea. But this notion of leveraging disorienting moments, right? Mm because shit happens and it can be disorienting and we are absolutely in a very disorienting moment right now like i said i mean i'm very independent and the fact that i can't just get in my car and drive three and a half hours to see my mother like what like what wait (laughs) and and the thing is you know to leverage it is to lean in and say so what might i learn from this and you're right it's not about saying it's not static that's what I meant a while ago when I said searching for homeostasis. You do want homeostasis between the individual and organizational interaction, but you don't want it to be static because static is not good. Yep. So when stuff happens, it, it's happening. It's three-dimensional. It's fluid. It's like, oh my gosh, okay, here's another one. Let me catch my breath. 
And then how do you hold yourself in a way, you know, in a grounded, centered way so that you can make it through yep. and you don't kind of get wiped out forever? And that's, that's a challenge for a lot of people. There are going to be a lot of people, I'm not talking about the economic um, outcomes or implications of this COVID-19. I'm talking about a lot of people who, unfortunately, and this breaks my heart to think about them, who were already on the edge, you know, from a mental health and personal uh, sense of self perspective. They were already hanging on to thin thread. And now this notion of social distancing is really equal to social isolation for many people. And the disorientation of this time is, I don't know how well they'll be able to come back without a lot of help and you know, support. And it's heartbreaking to think about it. Um, don't you think, Beth, that's where the organization can come in and support absolutely. us? Absolutely. We get... That's we, beautiful. We're not just giving to the organization, but the organization can, can absolutely and see us as part of the organization. That's part where of, you can plug in. Absolutely, Brett. I mean, that's it. It's about being part, you know, you hear the expression being part of the solution. So, you know, again, we people, groups of people, and I'm also um, inspired and know that there'll be groups of people coming together to support those individuals mm -hmm. as they are doing now in their way. So, but this notion of disorienting dilemma you know, is really pretty big. And we can think about, um, you know, big epic societal kind of scenarios that have happened over the years that have left some people broken and others stronger. And going back to your scenario about Katrina, I know you guys have some real life stories about how people have come out stronger and even, and being broken is a, is a term that is not a, a doomed term. I mean, we've all been broken at some point and then you kind of, with support, you find your way through it, right? You and that's, yeah. that's the notion. That's the notion of being of leveraging. That's what that means in my my reference to that. And I think it's you know what's what's awesome for maybe a shift for a lot of us um, is that what, Renee, what is ing? Are those gerunds or what is that? You're the journalist. Yeah. That Sounds right. Okay, well, let's call it for that. I think my high school English teacher listens in, so if I'm wrong, <laughs> I'll hear from Sue. But I think maybe perhaps in part of the intention is to have the, is to have the gerund approach or the ING, which is to not fall into that trap of what have we learned or yes. what will we learn or what is the fix or, but what am I learning? How yes. it would be, you know, the intention should be a gerund. Because otherwise, we're not honoring um, not only the forever fluidity, but the very real and uncertain fluidity of right now. Absolutely. And the successful organizations are the ones that continue to evolve. Yes, they They're are. All becoming. I mean, once you think you're done, you're done. Done. Exactly. <laughs> yep. When you think you've succeeded, you failed. Yeah. You absolutely have. So, yeah. you know, there is another idea that I'll just put forth, which is this notion of. Um, the way in which one might leverage, or not leverage rather, but um, build and partner with the network. And, you know, I like to distinguish the word network here as a, a noun versus a verb, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like, oh, I know, of course I know Brett Will Tell, or we go way back, mm -hmm. that's, yes. But it's really, how do you come together and um, really operationalize and bring to life the network of people that you, have that can help you 
move forward as um, an individual. And then when you come together, you're formed, you're an organization, if you will. Yep. That's one difference I see between the millennials and my generation. And that is that people are using the organization, the workplace as network. Yeah. Not, not, not verb. And, uh, you know, my, my daughter talks about having a work husband and I'm like, (laughs) Oh, you know, that's this person that we do everything at work together and we, whatever. And I think that I went to work for a paycheck and now people join the organization for different reasons. That's beautiful. That's so true. That's so true. I'm laughing at a work husband. (laughs) I've been called a work wife and I have not known how to take that. I know. I know. I know. I I was kind of interpret that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's so many things to do with that. Yeah. Well, maybe that can be, um, maybe that can be another time because Bev, we would, uh, you know, I hope I can speak for my co-host on this. We would love to have you back. Absolutely. It's just uh, endless conversation in, in the offing here. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, thank you for not only sharing your perspective, but thanks for sh- sharing the research because, um, you know, I think we that we need we need something to ground to ground into. We need to be creative in these times. But wow, even I, who um, am not always the most grounded person, um, see the value of being grounded in times like these. So, so thank you, and um, hope you're back. And and I just want to leave you all, or leave all of us, um, with an Irish proverb. So you know, some of us dwell in research. Um, I dwell in, in proverbs and um i don't know to me it seems like it ties all of this together it might be a nice way for us to say goodbye and the proverb is it is in the shelter of each other that people live Mm. and i think that perhaps what we're talking about is something as simple as a finding a shared spe- shelter. It's, it's something as simple as finding a shared shelter where we can live and thrive and share what it is to live and thrive. Mm. So uh, Bev Edgehill, Dr. Beverly Edgehill, thank you for giving your time. Please tell Boston hello for me. Um, and uh, Renee Peck, as always, thank you. Um, and Daryl, thanks for... Uh, making sure we all sound good as we do this. Um, and I, uh, I hope you all have a great day, uh, whatever organization you are getting ready to step back into. Thank, Thank you. Such a beautiful place.